This is the Worker Experience, a podcast that's speaking directly to employees. Hosted by Edgar Jatu, Executive Director of Workplace Fairness, an advocacy organization that developed and maintains the number one free online resource for workers' rights information. Let's get to work. Voting in elections is foundational to civic engagement. Every election cycle, policies affecting workers take an even more prominent role in political conversations. More Americans are concerned about a number of workers' rights initiatives, such as increasing the minimum wage, eliminating sub-minimum wage wages, expanding union rights, and creating more employee benefits, such as maternity or sick leave. Electing public officials who believe in the importance of a fair workplace for all Americans is crucial to the health of our democracy by expanding the pie of happiness and prosperity that we are all entitled. We hope that this podcast episode will prepare you for the upcoming voting season, give you tools for identifying political candidates who share your workers' rights ideals and understand acceptable or prohibited employer practices concerning your right to vote. Today, I'm joined by Judy Conti, who is the current Government Affairs Director at NELP and previously served as the co-founder and executive director at the DC Employment Justice Center. Judy has years of experience lobbying on issues, including raising the minimum wage, fair chance hiring, immigration reform, and other issues involving turning low-wage work into good jobs with a pathway to the middle class. She has been widely recognized for her work with awards from the American Bar Association, the Washington Area Women's Foundation, the Hispanic Bar Association of DC, Women and Mary Law School, and DC Jobs and Justice, and is widely respected media resource. Judy has appeared on C-SPAN's Washington Journal, CNBC, MSNBC, Fox, Business News, CBS News, and BBC. She has been widely quoted in the print media and has written for The Hill and Fortune. Judy has also testified before Congress on numerous occasions and regularly speaks at conference conferences and on panels addressing hot topics in labor and employment law. Judy, welcome to the podcast. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Edgar. Yes, thank you. Know, pleasure is all ours. Um, so if you can just start by introducing yourself a little bit more and also the work that NELP does in the workers' rights community. Sure thing. So my name is Judy Conti. As you said, I'm the Government Affairs Director at the National Employment Law Project. NELP is an advocacy organization, and our mission is to build a just and inclusive economy where all workers have expansive rights and thrive in good jobs. Um, We work with local, state, and national partners and we advance our work through legal and policy solutions, research, capacity building, communications, and advocacy. Our goal ultimately is to build black immigrant worker power and advance transformative solutions to achieve racial and economic justice. I've been with NELP for 15 years now. And uh, as I like to tell people, I am a very proud labor and employment nerd. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you for that, um, Judy. And and just for everyone's um, clarification, do you mind just um, spelling out what NELP means? Oh, excuse me. I should have done that in the first place. The National Employment Law Project. Thank you. We are that. not a government agency. We are a private nonprofit organization. Thank you. Thank you for that, Judy. Mm-hmm. So now, unless you're living under a rock, um, it's election season, and you know um, the news cycle now is, is full of all types of political candidates talking about all different things, including um, topics in, in workers' rights laws. And one place where we wanted to start the podcast today um, is talk about, um, you know, what rights employees have when it comes to voting in general. And so the first question we have for you is, what should workers be aware of when it comes to their employer's role in influencing their participation in voting? Well, certainly no employer should be trying to influence how you vote in any way, shape or form, nor should any employer be trying to stand in your way of voting or encouraging you not to vote. For example, if any employer says something to you like, oh, it doesn't matter who you vote for, they're all the same, you shouldn't waste your time, something like that. Um, There are a number of states that specifically have laws that guarantee you a few hours of paid time off in order to go vote. And your website at Workplace Fairness has all that information. It It is such a treasure trove of information about voting rights and and anything else a worker could possibly want. So I would encourage people to look at that and see if your state does have a law giving you the right to pay time off to vote. If it does, and you want to exercise that, you should certainly make a request in advance of election day uh, to make sure there's adequate coverage for your work um, and to make sure that your employer complies with the law. Um, it, It is not a legal right in every single state. So that is something to be aware of. Don't go exercising rights that don't exist in your state. So check that website Um, and do look at whether there are any conditions. It could well be that um, you only have the right to have um, protect job protected leave for voting if, for example, there aren't adequate hours either before or after your workday begins. So pay really close attention to the information on the Workplace Fairness website. Uh, And if you need to request time off, make sure that you do that in advance. And don't let your employer influence you to skip voting and don't let your employer influence how you are going to vote. That is your vote and that is your decision. Thank you for that, Judy. And thank you for the the plug for the website. Really appreciate it. Um, And and you kind of mentioned this, but I want to ask it uh, more poignantly because we do get this question a lot. But can your employer... You know, tell you um, who to vote for um, yeah. in between that way? No, that is that is your vote. I mean, there there probably are employers who are going to try to do that. Um, you know, they may have their own particular interest in somebody who, for example, they think is going to lower their taxes or, um, you know, support laws and policies that they like. Um, um, but you should not allow yourself to be influenced by your employer's opinions whatsoever. Your vote is your own. It is a secret who you vote for. You do not have to reveal that information to anyone. Thank you for that, Judy. And and I would just add that that might even include if your employer invites you to a candidate's you know um, um, political political event. You know, you don't have to go. 
you know, and and just remember that uh, being for employers who might be listening to this podcast, you know, trying to influence someone to vote a certain way could be a discrimination issue, depending on what type of candidate that person is or what type of agenda you're pushing politically. So be very careful about this. And and I couldn't agree with Judy more. You know, that should not happen in the workplace whatsoever. So uh, next question, you know, in line with, you know, what we've been talking about so far is, have you noticed any special efforts by employers to influence how their workers vote this election cycle? You know, I can't say that I've seen anything in particular this cycle, though I am sure it is going on. And the kind of things that we see are mandatory meetings, for example, where an employer may um, express their opinion about who you should vote for or whether or not you should vote for a certain ballot initiative or not. Or, or not. And in, in particular throughout the country, there are a few worker-related ballot initiatives. Um, I know that in DC, for example, there is an initiative that would gradually eliminate the sub-minimum wage for tipped workers um, so that within a few years, all tipped workers will get the full minimum wage plus tips on top instead of the only $5 an hour that they get now, for example. There are certainly restaurateurs and owners who are trying to scare their workers and tell them that if this happens, you'll make less wages. We're going to have to price things so high that people will stop coming here. People won't tip you anymore, even though that just isn't the truth. Um, there are so many jurisdictions where you're not allowed to pay subminimum wages to tipped workers and tipped workers get excellent tips plus the full minimum wage, for example. Right, right, right. So that's that's one very concrete example that you see there's sort of this big public information campaign and employers, no doubt, are telling their workers that they should vote against it and trying to scare them. Um, you know, there, there may well be some level of threat of job loss if they find out who you vote for. If that happens, to anyone, that is that is absolutely patently illegal, and you should be looking right. for an employment attorney right away to do that. To right. Remedy right. that. Thank you for that, Judy. Um, and yeah, and and you you make some silly points about um, some of the tactics that employers can use to influence people's vote, um, and you know, especially now with a lot of um, hot button issues making making on ballots. Um, you know, there's been a lot of pressure on employer employees as of late um, to vote a certain way. So thanks for, for illuminating that um, for our audience. Um, so, you know, explain to us then why it's so critical that people vote from a workers' rights perspective. So elected officials not only look at how much they've won or lost by, they look at where their votes come from. Right. There's there's tremendous breakdown they can do from exit polls. They have a sense of the racial and gender breakdown of their voters, for example. They know which precincts voters come from. They, that is all collected by um, the boards of elections throughout the whole country. So, for an example, when elected officials look at those breakdowns and they see that, for example, there is low voter, voter turnout, for example, in a working class precinct. 
they're not going to care as much about working class people issues, right? They're going to, if, if it's more affluent people from higher priced districts, if you will, who are voting, that's who they're going to give their loyalty to. Um, but if you want your legislators to pay attention to you, you and the people in your community need to vote. And you need to vote because they are doing so many things that affect your day-to-day -day life, right? Like they have the power to raise or lower your taxes or to raise or lower taxes of the rich, um, hopefully raising them and raising taxes on employers that don't pay any taxes so that that money can be spent in schools and in communities and to support people who aren't making enough money to get it, make it ends meet. Um, they are the people who are voting on things like what the minimum wage in your state should be, whether or not there's any legal entitlement to paid sick leave or paid family and medical leave, whether you have a legal right to a predictable work schedule. Mm -hmm. There's a whole host of workers' rights policies that legislators get to vote on um, or to ignore, which is happening all too frequently. Um, so your votes can directly influence what makes it to a legislative floor, um, what gets in, what rights you have, what gets enacted and what doesn't. Um, and I really can't stress to you enough because I, I understand why there are so many people who feel disaffected um, and, oh, they're all, all the same. None of them really care about me. Um, but legislators really do look at where their votes come from. So if, if you are in a working class neighborhood, if you are a, a woman or a person of color, um, when your communities come out in higher numbers, that is something that a legislator is going to pay attention to because in candor, they, they care very much about keeping their jobs, right? right. <laughs> they want to get reelected. They want to get elected and they want to get reelected. Yeah. And then they do their, and they want to do their jobs, right? Pretty much in that order. Um, so it's very important to get out there, to make your voice heard, to get your communities to make their voices heard as well. Thank you for that, Judy. And you, and you made some excellent points there. And, and two that I want to highlight is the fact that, um, you know, there is this you know, thought that, you know, politicians don't care about, um, who votes, but, you know, you, you made it very clear that it, it is in fact, it is in fact false, that there is tremendous, there's a tremendous industry around um, um, the elections, right, and, and politics, yeah. one of which is looking at voter data, right? And so if you think that someone's not looking at how you voted or how your community voted, you know, that's that's a big mistake. You know, people do look at that. Um, and if they do see that, it might influence, you know, the way they might have to legislate um, or what they say publicly, they're going to pay attention to that. Um, so I, I think it's very important that you vote because and get your people to vote. Um, because people do look at that, you know, and if there's, and if you give people a reason to, you know, vote, vote a certain way or, or say, or say certain things, they'll do it because they want, they want to keep your vote. Um, exactly. And here's yeah. the other thing that I really want to stress to people. Um, we always see the highest voter turnout for presidential elections. Right. We see the second highest in, in congressional midterm elections, especially if there is a Senator in your state yeah. that is up for reelection. If there's only the members of the House of Representatives, it's even lower. When it's 
It's only state or local elections. It's even lower than that. And you will often see somewhere between 10 to 15, maybe only 20% of registered voters voting in those elections. And one thing I just want to make so clear to people is that actually the voting patterns, if anything, should be the opposite. I mean, you should always vote when you have the chance to, period, end of story. But if you're going to prioritize um, the elections for the people who are closest to your home, if you will, the people on your school boards, on your city councils, your sheriffs, those are the folks that influence your day-to-day life much more so than the president of the United States is ever going to do. Um, So please don't think that, oh, this is only a local election. It's not that important. Those are tremendously important. Yeah, no, that, that, that is so true, Judy. And, and what people don't sometimes realize is that a lot of laws that become national law come from States, you know, um, you know, because people vote in certain people and then they enact certain laws and they become, you know, they become a testing ground for national policy, you know. And so um, it, it's tremendously important to, to vote local because, you know, state minimum wages, you know, are, are controlled by state state houses. Right. And um, and other, you know, potentially, you know, um, positive workplace um, laws can come from state housing and governors who, um, care about workers' rights. So it, it's super important. And sometimes, you know, if enough states um, or localities are enacting um, workplace laws that are working, um, then the people in D.C. start seeing that and might adopt those policies at a national level. So um, it, it all is connected. Um, exactly. We call the states the laboratories of experiment, right? Yeah. When it was demonstrated that um the Family and Medical Leave Act could be well administered on the state level, all of a sudden it became possible to pass it on the federal level so that everybody has the right. What what also happens when there's enough states that have their own policies, their own pro-worker policies, um, especially for employers that work across many different states, you know, like a big corporation like a Walmart or a Target, for example, um, those companies don't like having to comply with 50 different policies at 50 different <laughs> states. So you also reach a tipping point at some point, right? That will make it more possible to pass things nat- nationally so there's some measure of uniformity. So that is another way that states are very important. The more they can push the envelope, the more likely it is that we will then get federal action that applies to everybody. Yeah, that, that's a, a wonderful point, Judy. Um, and and and. and and in, in your statements, you, you made mention to a lot of different workplace policies that um, that should be important to all Americans because uh, everyone works. Uh, so can you maybe highlight the ones that you think are um, the most hot button for this election cycle that people should pay attention to, whether it's you know at the state level or national level? And I know it's like picking the cutest puppies or kittens out of a bunch of puppies <laughs> and kittens, but um, do your best to maybe highlight some of the ones that people should really, you know, think about when when they're thinking about who to vote for this um this November. Yeah. So, I mean, on on the the biggest picture scale, um, there are a number of ballot initiatives across the country uh, that are dealing with the right to choose um, and reproductive freedom. Some. Some states are trying to enshrine a right to abortion. 
Some states are trying to uh, enshrine that there is no right to an abortion. So that is something that people should be paying attention to. There are all sorts of ballot initiatives about raising or lowering taxes. Um, there are a lot about local governance. Those are fairly common. But there's there's six of them I want to highlight really quickly that very directly relate to workers. Um, the first might not seem like it does, but it does. Arizona is um, trying to pass an amendment that would uh, a ballot initiative that would require a 60% vote of the electorate in order to change its laws or the state constitution. Mm -hmm. This is important because although Arizona is a state that tends to be more conservative and its its legislatures legislators tend to govern more conservatively, when ballot initiatives are put before the people for things like raising the minimum wage and other good pro-worker policies, that's a place where conservative voters cross the line and usually vote yes. Right. Um, but maybe not by 60% or more, right? So requiring a 60% vote makes it harder to do those good things like raising the minimum wage, like enacting paid family leave, all of the kind of pro-worker policies that we want to see. So that's something important for people to understand. Illinois is um, attempting to create a state constitutional right to bargain collectively with your employer. Um, there is a legal right to that already in Illinois, but it's it's in the, the code. It's a law. Mm -hmm. It's not a constitutional right. So there's that much more protection if it's a constitutional right. Both Nebraska and Nevada are trying to raise their minimum wages. Uh, Nebraska is trying to increase the minimum wage to $15 by 2026. And in Nevada, it would increase to $12 by um, July of 2020. I can't read my notes here. <laughs> Take uh, my apologies. No worries. Uh, within, within a few years, um, we would encourage people to vote yes on both of those, of course. Tennessee is trying to pass a constitutional amendment that would enshrine the principle that we call right to work, which really means right to work for less. Right. Um, already in Tennessee law, there is a provision that says that you do not have to become a member of a labor union um, as a term or condition of your employment. So for example, if you get a job in a unionized workforce, they can't force you to join the union. Um, they're trying to make it a constitutional amendment, again, to enshrine it with a little bit more protection. Right. Um, the problem with right to work laws is that they usually drive down wages and benefits for not just unionized workers, but all workers in the state where those laws exist. Right. And then finally, there's the ballot initiative in Washington, DC that I spoke about that would gradually eliminate the subminimum wage for tipped workers. This actually passed a number of years ago um, but in a very craven way, the D.C. City Council overruled the will of the electorate um, and disallowed the minimum wage increase for tipped workers. This time, however, the city council and its leadership have pledged that if the voters vote yes again, they will not disturb it. So we really hope the voters come out and do the right thing on that. Yeah, no, that yeah, I remember what happened there. because I, I live in D.C., so that was a... Uh... Mm -hmm. That was mystifying, to say the least. <laughs> um, yeah, and I want to just add a couple of other things. You know, well, at least one thing. So, particularly at the national level, there's been a lot of talk about expanding leave, particularly when it comes to 
um, allowing for more time for women to, or, or people who are able to bear children, um, time mm -hmm. to bond and to and to also heal from childbirth, because um, childbirth is a medical uh, procedure, um, and also um, expanding sick leave as well, um, taking a lot of what we've gone through during COVID. Um, do, do you have any comments on those particular um, items at the, especially the national level? Yes, you know, it's it's really important that we elect people who are supportive of workers and their needs for reasonable time off. Um, you know, there we there are bills pending that would provide paid family and medical leave to care for your own health condition, including childbirth. Um, or if you are a caregiver for a family member who needs um, time to heal and you need to care for them. Um, if, if the pandemic showed us anything, it shows us how important it is to have paid time off. And indeed, you know, the business community actually agrees for the most part that there should be universal paid family leave. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the the way the Republican, the Republican Party for so long was very closely aligned with corporate America uh, and, and the Chamber of Commerce and very pro-business. In recent years, it really has begun breaking with corporate America, claiming that corporate America is too woke and trying <laughs> to impose its agenda. For years, the, the, the line was always, we should let corporations and businesses do what they think is best for them themselves that's capitalism and now all of a sudden when they realize that better workplace policies um you know weighing into some of the the big issues of voting rights and governance and um freedom to choose are important things as well now all of a sudden that's not so good um yeah. but you know the 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 majority of the republican party is extremely opposed the, the majority of the electeds in Congress are extremely imposed to a universal paid leave program. Um, there are some proposals some Republicans have put out that would be for um, maternity leave only or would be more expansive, but would require workers to borrow against their Social Security for their retirement, which is no way to fund a paid leave program. Right. So, um you know, if if that is something that matters to you, then you need to research how the people up for election in your district or your state are um, are willing to vote on that. Yeah, no, Judy, thank you for illuminating that. And I, you know, I still, I mean, I certainly understand why, but it still befuddles me um, why so many people, um, you know, um, are so against universal paid leave or the idea that people need time off. And I just want to point out something that, you know, when it comes to, you know, all the countries in the world, you know, paid paid universal leave is is a very common thing in other parts of the world. You know, whether it's a a, a rich country like ours or even a poor one. So, you know, we don't have an excuse <laughs> really for for why we're we're so you know, we, we really don't. You know, most industrialized nations, most of the nations we would want to compare ourselves to have universal paid leave, Yeah, have um, paid sick leave, have mandatory vacation laws, mm -hmm. um, have a policy called just cause, um, meaning that you can't be fired from your job 
unless there's a good reason to do it. Whereas in the United States, it's employment at will. Right. And you can be fired for pretty much any reason at any time, as long as it's not otherwise made illegal. And there's a very narrow category of things that are illegal reasons to fire people. Basically, you know, our anti-discrimination laws are the only protection. Right. Um, but if you're doing a good job and your employer hasn't having is having a bad day and wants to take it out on you and fire you, that's perfectly legal. Right. If, you know, people in your, your workplace routinely show up to work five or 10 minutes late and then the one day you do it, you're fired, that's perfectly legal. Right. Um, so, you know, that is that is a policy that most of the industrialized world has rejected. Uh, but we have this horrible employment at will policy in the United States that leaves workers extremely vulnerable to the whims of their employers. And it's not a good or healthy way to run a workplace. Yeah, no, I couldn't can I agree more, Judy. Um, so, you know, we did talk a lot about some of these workplace policy issues that make it up on a that make it onto a ballot, particularly at the state level. Can you um, sort of briefly break down how that works um, and how a workplace policy or any policy that matter can make it to an election ballot for a popular yeah. vote? Sure. So there, not all states allow ballot initiatives or allow them in a terribly expansive way. Um, in, you know, in particular, a lot of um, southeastern states, southwestern states, sort of the a, a lot of the more conservative states do have fairly strict limits on what they, they will allow to go onto a ballot initiative, but not all do. Um, you know, I think all would agree that Arkansas, for example, is generally a very conservative state, as is Nebraska. And in both of them in the past and now there have been um, minimum wage increases. But generally speaking, in the states that allow ballot initiatives, and in particular, allow them about workers' rights issues, um, you would have to look at the particular state law. Generally, in the first instance, you would have to draft up an initiative that is specific enough that it can be implemented with clarity. And there's some level of approval then that it goes through in order to make sure that it's a proper topic of a ballot initiative. Then you would have to gather signatures from registered voters. There's generally a certain number, a certain percentage that you have to reach in order to prove that there's enough interest for this to get the ballot. And then if you get those signatures within the allotted amount of time, it'll go on the ballot and then it, it goes up for a vote. Usually you just have to win by a majority. As I talked about with Arizona, they're trying to require a 60% vote um, for ballot initiatives that would change laws or the state constitution. There are a number of states that expressly disallow ballot initiatives when it comes to any sort of workplace rights. Um, those are states that have a policy that we call preemption, meaning that only the state legislature can uh, enact any sort of workers' rights uh, improvements, we'd hope, um, but perhaps decreases in rights. Um, and those, there's also a lot of states that preempt cities and localities' ability to enact any sort of additional rights as well for their workers, that it is only the state legislature that is able to enact any sort of protections. No, thank you for that, Judy. And what I would add is that, you know, in some places, Judy is correct, it is very restrictive, but in the places that you know, you're able to um, get something on, on the ballot and and 
put up for a popular vote. It's been tremendously effective, you know. Yeah, the, the ballot initiatives that are pro worker rarely, if ever, fail. And yep. you know, part of part of the reason is that um, seasoned strategic advocates are usually behind these campaigns. They do polling in advance, and they make sure there is sufficient support in the first instance. You know, generally speaking, you like to see polling that shows over 60% support, because then even if there's some drop off, you've got a, a, a good cushion. Um, but you know, when you try to do things like raise the minimum wage, grant paid leave, right. Um, right. these are things that are incredibly popular. And, you know, whether you'll be impacted by the minimum wage or not, you know, people by overwhelming margins across all political divides, partisan divides, support raising the minimum wage. So Julia, a couple, or maybe one or two more final questions. What are some good resources for workers to use to learn more about a candidate's position on workplace rights issues mm-hmm. or to learn about specific workplace issues on ballots? Yeah. Um, so first of all, your local papers will always have endorsements of candidates and they will talk about why they are endorsing them. And usually it will include key positions that they favor or they don't. Your local papers will also always have information on ballot initiatives. And it will just at some point in the weeks leading up to elections talk about what they are, what they mean, what voting for them would do. So that's one great resource. Look at your local papers. unions in your area will undoubtedly release guides for voting. They'll talk about candidates' positions on the issues that matter um, and give you recommendations about who to vote for based on their pro-worker stances. There is a website called Ballotopedia that also has tremendous information on every candidate running for every office in the country and their position on key issues. And if there is a ballot initiative in your state, it will have information about that as well. So I think those are some really important resources for you to look at. Um, If you are in a state that has um, the Working Families Party, they will also have uh, tremendous amounts of information about where candidates stand on all of the different issues. Thanks so much for that, Judy. And and then lastly, you know, how can people find NELP and support NELP's work and your work? I, I so appreciate that. Um, you can find NELP at NELP.org. That'll take you to our website and talk about all of the campaigns that we are involved in and all of the ways that you can support our work. Equally important, though, I would encourage you to look for workers' rights organizations in your own communities and states and support them because they're doing stuff that is so close to home for you. Uh, and and they, community-based groups in particular really need your support. So um, you will see at various points on our website, there are allies that we work with that we list. Um, certainly look at those and see if there are people in your community to support. Thanks so much for that, Judy. And in speaking of allies, I just want to say that NELP has been a tremendous ally um, and sister organization to Workplace Fairness over the years. And so we're so, so thankful for all the work you do in the workplace community and, and supporting our work. And Judy, thank you so much, so much for being on this podcast today. You're welcome. And Edgar, the, the thanks goes in both directions. I tell people all the time, there is no better 
comprehensive source for every bit of workers' rights information than workplace fairness. Like the resource that you have for people that is completely free is invaluable and the quality is top notch. Like what is Thank on you. there is accurate and credible um, and you and your team do exceptional work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you all for tuning in today to the Worker Experience Podcast. And we hope you join us again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Worker Experience Podcast with your host, Edgar Jatu. This episode was produced by Alea Arison and edited by Hai Kun Wang. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Workplace Fairness, you can follow us on all major social media platforms. If you would like to donate to Workplace Fairness, please head to the link in the show notes or text write at 53555 to give. Thanks again and hope you tune in next time.